Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. Today we are continuing our uh, sermon series, Journey Through the Book of Mark, and we'll be, we'll be beginning in chapter 2 uh, this week where we find an amazing story of, of Jesus revealing the truth behind why he came, revealing to us why it is that he actually came. The, the story uh, it involves the people gathering and being amazed by his ability to heal people, to heal sickness. But what Jesus reveals is that he actually came to bring dead things to life. That we who were dead in our trespasses and sins are brought to life by the work of Christ within us. But the people who were gathering around Jesus were focusing on the wrong things. You know, one of my favorite kind of storytelling uh, devices that authors and, and screenwriters often use is to introduce a character making you think that they are one thing, and then as the story progresses, you find out that they transition and, and they actually are something else. Sometimes you think it's a bad guy and they turn out to be the good guy. Sometimes it's the other way around. One of my most recent uh, introductions to this um, particular experience in, in storytelling, uh, and if you have a small child or small children in your family, you probably have also been introduced to this little experience, but there's a new Disney movie called Encanto. Anybody seen this? And my first introduction to this movie was uh, our girls and, and their cousins uh, reenacting the song We Don't Talk About Bruno over and over again in our, in our living room. And, and so now y'all are all going to have that stuck in your head. I apologize. Um, but the story, if you haven't seen it, is about this Colombian family who is given this gift, a special gift uh, of magic. And each member of the family has their own special uh, magical gift, and they use it to help others. And the grandmother, Abuela, presides over all. And she comes to a point in the story where at the beginning you think she's the good guy. She kind of is, is introduced as, as the bad guy later on and comes to a point where she values the gift of magic even more than she values the family, which leads to the destruction of the magic and almost the destruction of the family. And what, it, it, while I don't necessarily believe we should get our theology from Disney movies, I do believe that we can find truth and, and kind of a, a, a pointed reference to something that, that we're going to see in the story today. And that is, it is possible for us to focus on the wrong thing, to, to get so invested in the wrong thing that we miss what Jesus is actually doing. The people that were gathering around him in the story we're reading today uh, were, were, were struggling with this. They, they were focusing on the wrong thing, and, and, and this is so true for us uh, so very often. We get focused on the wrong things and then miss what Jesus is actually doing. Maybe we're even focused on good things within the life of the church or within the Christian life, but if we focused on good things but we've missed the best thing, then we have also missed the point. So let's dive into the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today and watch as Jesus reveals to us the true reason why he came. We are in Mark chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2 
verses 1 through 12. Scripture says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was bringing the word, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. And may the Lord add his blessing this morning to the preaching and the studying of his word. This is a passage that we've all heard before. In fact, if you grew up in church, this is a passage you probably have studied in Sunday school. This is a passage that, that you maybe seen at VBS. This is a passage we've had in, in our small groups. This is a passage of Scripture that is very familiar to us if we've been around church for any, any length of time. The problem is that so very often, when we study this passage of Scripture, the focus is put upon the faith of the men who bring the paralytic man there. And there is something to be said about that. We're going to touch on that in just a moment. But that is not the reason that Mark includes this story in his gospel. Because what actually happens is, in, in, in the, the miracle that occurs, Jesus reveals who he truly is to the people who are gathered around him. And at the end, there is no question about who Jesus is and what it is that he is proclaiming as he is preaching the word to them. So let's dive in and look at five different things that we can see in this passage of Scripture. The first thing, that, that we, as we look at the beginning of this passage, in the first two verses, we see that Jesus has come home. Now, he's come back to Capernaum. He, they said he's gathered at a house. It's probably Peter's house. Um, but we see in verse 2 that the people were gathered there, and Jesus was preaching the Word to them. Jesus preached the Word. So as we saw you know, in chapter 1, the crowds were gathering around Jesus, and more than likely... They were gathering around him because he was healing their sick. And so they were, when they heard that he had come back to town, they, they wanted to gather around him again. There was a, there was a celebrity quality to, to him being there. And, and more than likely, many of the people who were gathered in the house so that it was overflowing had come hoping to be healed. They were drawn to him because of what they believed that he could do for them. But notice what Jesus does. He didn't pay attention necessarily to the reason that they had gathered. He didn't necessarily draw attention to the, the healing. It says what he did was he preached the word to them. Because we recognize as we look at the entirety of Scripture that, it, that faith comes through hearing the preached word of God. 
that it is the preaching of the word that brings about faith in the life of the believer. Paul writes in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so what we see is here Jesus giving us an example of what to do when a crowd gathers. And that is preach the word to them. We proclaim the gospel to them. Now, there is so much in this passage that we need to investigate and, and look at, but I, I don't want us to skip over the importance of gathering together, first of all, for the body of Christ to gather together to hear the Word of God preached. And it's through hearing the Word that the Spirit works to bring faith to the hearer. So, when we are gathered together, or when people are gathered together with us as followers of Christ, we need to take the opportunity to preach the Word. We, we need to follow the example of Christ. I was so excited yesterday. Ethan mentioned the car show and, and the fish fry and just how many people showed up. It was so exciting to see all these people gathered on campus. But even more exciting than this, and you can pay me later, Ethan, for this, was that at the beginning of our time together, Ethan got on the microphone and proclaimed the gospel to all those people who were there to look at old cars. It was a, a, a glorious moment of being reminded that the real reason we are here on this campus was not to look at cars or to eat fish. It was to talk about Jesus. It was to proclaim the Word of God to people who happened to be gathered here to hear it. And, and we don't know what God is going to do with the, the seeds that were planted through that, but we take, we take the opportunity to preach the Gospel. It happened also on the day of Pentecost. The people were amazed that the disciples were speaking in other languages, and Peter used that opportunity to stand up and proclaim the Gospel. And you know what the result of that was? In Acts 2.41, we read that those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. God worked as the Word was being proclaimed, and people came to faith in Jesus Christ. We're, we don't need to worry about a marketing campaign to get people here. We just need to preach the Word when God brings them. That, that's the calling upon, uh, upon His people, is to proclaim uh, the Word of God. And Word will spread. When, when God is at work, people will tell others what God is doing. We see it happening in this passage. Word is spread. Jesus just came back to town, probably to rest. And he got there, and everybody descended upon the house where he was staying because they had heard that he was back in town. God's Word should be foremost in what we are doing. should be proclaimed in everything that we are doing because it is powerful to act and work in the lives of God's people. He says in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God works through the proclamation of His word. Jesus, knowing that, was there gathered with people and He preached the word to them. So let us not miss that important part of this story. But then we come to this interesting moment where, where this group of friends comes and that they bring a, a paralyzed friend with them, carrying him on his bed. They can't get in the door, and so they, they go up onto the roof, and they open up the roof, and they lower the man down so that he is at the feet of Jesus. The second thing that we see in this passage is that the friends expressed faith. The friends of this paralyzed man expressed their faith, their belief that Jesus could do something in the life of this man. That, that, that they believed that that he could heal their paralyzed friend. You know, faith is shown by action. The friends believed that Jesus could heal the paralytic, and they didn't stop until they had an audience with Jesus. 
They expressed their faith by lowering down through the roof. They showed that they believed Jesus could heal this man by going to all lengths in order to see him get to Jesus. James reminds us of the truth that, that faith and works go hand in hand. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Scripture teaches us that, that we can recognize that what, what we believe is shown in what we do. That, that we show what we believe by what we do. My perfect, the, the, the greatest example that, that we can kind of show about this is, is I can say all day long that I have faith that these risers will, will, will hold me up, right? Or, or a chair, right? But until I actually put my faith into action, dear Lord, please don't stay up. Um, <laughs> Until I put my faith into action and actually sit down on the risers, I, I, I'm just saying I have faith, but I'm not actually exhibiting it. In the same way, our faith in Jesus is exhibited by how we live our lives, by the things that we do. And the, the friends believed that Jesus could heal the paralytic, and so they did everything that they could. They expressed tenacity even in their faith, in, in lowering the man down to get to Jesus. And sometimes faith requires Tenacity. It requires us to act even beyond what we think we should do to begin with. They, they could have gotten to the door, so we tried getting to Jesus. It was too full. We couldn't get in and taken him back home, but they didn't. They, I, I don't know about you, but just the, the, the mental image of carrying a bed up on top of the roof, then, then gather, even if there were stairs up there, that's a, that's a feat. And then you have to you know, pull back the, the thatching and get through the roof layers in order to be able to, and get a hole big enough to be able to lower the bed down. I, you know, and I can imagine that people in the house are kind of watching what's going on above them, kind of wondering, you know, what, what's happening. Just the, the, all of this put together, that there was a, a, a level of tenacity. We are going to get this man to Jesus. Faith requires that kind of tenacity. The, the television series Band of Brothers that was on several years ago follows the experiences of a company of paratroopers as they participate in the invasion of Europe. And in one scene, Lieutenant Richard Winters is leading his men into the heart of the Battle of the Bulge, and another lieutenant is, is pulling back from the front line. And he gives Winters this dismal report. He says, it looks like you're going to be surrounded. Winters rep replied briefly and confidently, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. Like, that, that needs to be the kind of thought process that, that we have as we think about putting our faith into action. We need to be tenacious. We need to be all in in believing who Jesus is, believing He can do what He has promised to do, and then acting out that faith in the way that we live our lives. So many people today complain about the most minor inconveniences. This first one really kind of cuts to my heart, but you know the traffic is bad. Like Traffic's always bad now, and it gives you something great to complain about while you're driving, right? Or maybe there's too much work to do around here, or my life is boring, or I need more money, or even if it's more serious, we focus on the negative and stop praying for God to move in a particular person's life. Maybe we stop praying for God to save a lost family member. There's no tenacity 
to our faith. James mentions this when he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And and then earlier in his letter he had said, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I think it's important to note in this story that the, the men who were carrying the bed with the paralytic man on it, they could have turned away. They could have walked away. But instead, they went all the way to opening the roof and lowering their sick friend down to Jesus. Now the problem with this story in the life of church, I'm not saying in this church, but just church in general, is that oftentimes we really stop there. Oftentimes we, we don't really get to the main point of the story. Yes, Jesus preached the word. And yes, these men showed great faith in bringing their paralyzed friend to Jesus and getting him to the feet of Jesus. But that's not the point of this story. The point of the story begins as Jesus sees their faith and then begins responding to it. And so the third thing that we see in this story really begins to give us an inclination of what Jesus is getting at. Because Jesus promised forgiveness of sins. Jesus promised forgiveness of sins. It's just this incredible moment that we arrive at in this story where the friends have brought the man to Jesus and Jesus sees their faith. And what everyone is expecting to happen next is for Jesus to say, you're healed, get up and walk. But instead, Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. The crowd was expecting another miraculous healing. But Jesus does not mention the physical sickness. Does not say anything about the fact that the man is laying in a bed and cannot walk. Instead, it says he sees their faith and he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. He simply promises forgiveness of sins. And this is where we begin to see Jesus getting to the heart of why he came. You see, he did not come to our world to to merely be a miracle worker, nor did he come just to perform signs and wonders. In fact, those things were really just meant to point people to see Jesus for the real reason that He came, which was to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was calling people to believe and follow Him through repentance of sin. He was not looking for a crowd or an audience. He came to save people who were dead in their trespasses and sins. And so when He sees the faith of the men who were lowering their friend down, he points to what was actually needed in this man's life and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. The faith that we have in Christ will always lead us to repentance of sin and forgiveness of sins. And we must believe that it is Jesus who offers forgiveness and salvation. I think it's also worthwhile noting that when we express our faith in Jesus leading to repentance of sin, when we express our faith in who Jesus is, that can also bring others to repentance and forgiveness of sins. What if the paralyzed man did not have four friends 
who were men of tenacious faith that believed that Jesus could heal him, who went so far as to open the roof and lower him down to Jesus. What if they said, no, we're not doing that? That this man would never have come, would not have been able to come before Jesus. Jesus offers forgiveness of sins. He, he, he says in the midst of this very interesting moment where all the crowd is gathered around looking, my son, your sins are forgiven. And now imagine that Jesus and this story stopped here. We would be in a strange place because the, the friends had expressed faith in Jesus being able to heal the paralyzed man. They had brought him and lowered him down to Jesus. Jesus had seen him, seen the physical need, and then said, My son, your sins are forgiven. What if the story stopped there? There, there would be a lot of questions in our minds, right? Maybe Jesus is, if that's where the story stopped, is Jesus crazy? Is he a lunatic? Or Perhaps he's unsympathetic. I mean, this man is paralyzed. He's stuck in a bed. He wants to get out of the bed. The friends have brought him to Jesus to get him out of this bed. And Jesus doesn't care. He just said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Of course, that's not where the story went. What if you went to the doctor and, and you had an infection and you were expecting the doctor to give you, you know, uh, an antibiotic for your infection to help you get better. And instead he says, man, you're, you're dressed really nicely today. And that's the end of the story. You'd think, this is a bad doctor, right? Like, you've not met my need. So you see this, this moment where Jesus has made this definitive statement. My son, your sins are forgiven. If it stopped there, we would be left scratching our heads. Thank the Lord it does not stop there. Because in the next moment, we are given the right question to ask in this moment by, of all people, the scribes and Pharisees, who say, wait a minute, who can forgive sins but God alone? This man just said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Who's allowed to do that? And they rightly understood that only God is able to forgive sins. Which leads us to the fourth thing we see in this passage. Jesus proved his authority and divinity in this moment. Jesus shows us who he is in this moment. He promised forgiveness of sins. And the Pharisees rightly question and say, wait a minute, only God can forgive sins. What is it? that is happening in this place. What is this man saying? Is he claiming to be God? They were right about the source of salvation. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can save someone. And at this point, they had not recognized Jesus as someone sent from God. They recognized he could do wonders and signs, but they did not know who he was. And Jesus, in this moment, reveals who he is. He asked the question, he said, I understand you're questioning in your minds who can forgive sins but God. So which is it easier to say? My son, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Well, the clear answer to his question is it's easier to say my son, your sins are forgiven because there's no way to prove that. So that, that's the inclination, that's the, the point he's making here. It's easier to say my son, your sins are forgiven. 
But so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority to both forgive sins and heal diseases, He then says, My son, get up. Take your bed and go home. And in a moment of clarity and proof of who Jesus is, the man who was paralyzed, who could not get himself to the house, who had to be carried by four friends and then lowered down from the roof to get to Jesus, stood up, picked up his own bed, and went home. And what Jesus showed in that moment, when he, when he healed the paralyzed man, is that not only did he have the power to heal, but he was also God who could forgive sins. He had the authority and the divinity to both heal our physical diseases, but the real reason he came was to heal the spiritual problem that we all have. Salvation can only come through a work of God. He does all of the work in salvation. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot get our sins forgiven. What Jesus showed in this moment is that as the one sent from the Father, He is the one who has the authority to not only be able to heal diseases, but he can heal the real problem that every one of us has. He can heal the problem of sin. The sick man was only looking for relief from his illness, but Jesus knew that he needed salvation from his sin, and he brought both physical and spiritual healing to the man. Did you know that it is Jesus who does the work of redemption in our lives? It is Jesus who saves It is Jesus who does the work of forgiveness. In fact, it was Jesus who laid down His life that the penalty for our sins might be paid. We are able to come boldly before the throne of grace, come boldly before the Father, not because of anything we've done, not because of any faith we've exhibited, but because of who Jesus is and what He has done on our behalf. Do you see how He flipped the script on what they thought He was there to do? and showed them who He really was. They were just looking for a faith healer. And He said, I can do that, but I'm only using that to really prove to you who I am. And so that you will know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm healing this man. And He healed him both physically and spiritually. Which then leads to the end of the story We see the last verse. The man rose, immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that all the people were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. The people worshipped. The only right response, the only right response when we see Jesus for who He is, is to worship God to glorify God. And the people, they, in response to what Jesus uh, had done, the people worshipped God. Our right response to what Jesus has done for us, our only right response is for us to worship Him. Did you hear the songs that we sang? Or that were sung this morning? 
The choir started off by singing this line, to tell you my story is to tell of him. Everything about who we are, when we have have placed our faith in Christ, everything about who we are has been changed, not by what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. And so to tell you about me is to tell you about Jesus. We follow that up by singing, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. The only, the only thing, the only reason that I can come before God the Father is because of Christ. And as a result of what Jesus has done, it brings me to to worship the people who were gathered around in this house as they saw what Jesus has done. They glorified God. They couldn't do anything else. They said, we've never seen anything like this. And they hadn't. And you cannot separate their amazement at the miracle from the words that Jesus said. It, It all happened right there in front of them. Jesus declared very definitively If only God can forgive sins, and He proves that He has the power to do that, then He is God. And the people were worshiping and rejoicing because we've never seen anything like this. God has been revealed to us. It was clear what Jesus is saying and doing. Even the Pharisees didn't miss the importance of what what He was claiming, and they missed it a lot. He proved that he could forgive sins by healing the man. The people were right. They had never seen anything like this. And they rightly glorified God. Do you remember back where we started? As we were kind of opening our time together. Where we talked about not missing the main thing by focusing on other stuff. Too many times in life we pay attention to what God can do for us. Rather than the work of salvation he has completed that is freely given to us. We talk about how God can take away our anxiety. We talk about how God can can heal our sicknesses. We talk about how we can study the Bible, and that helps with finances or other moral or ethical teachings from Scripture, and we completely miss the point of the Gospel, which says that you and I, we are sinners, and apart from Christ, we will never be anything but sinful, fallen, dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, sent His Son to die in our place to take the penalty for our sins, and then He gives us eternal life when we believe in His name. Everything else that He does for us, every other good thing that He brings to our life, everything that we do as a church family, everything else pales in comparison to the good news of the Gospel that I was dead and Jesus made me alive. Not because of what I did, but because of what He did. There is no comparison to the glory of that truth. And that alone, the Gospel alone, should lead us to worship and glorify God. We should stand amazed that the Holy God, the Creator of the universe, would stoop to shed His own blood to pay the penalty for people who had rejected Him and were dead in their sins. And yet, God did. All that we are, all that we are called to be as the gathered body of Christ is wrapped up in the truth of the Gospel. And everything that we do 
Every event that we have, every program that we hold, everything that we do, every time we gather together for worship, if it's not focused on Jesus and who He is and what He has done in us, then we have missed the point. Let us not be the people who miss the point. Jesus was a great teacher. He was a very moral man. In fact, Scripture tells us He lived a sinless life. He did amazing miracles, healed people, turned water into wine, raised people from the dead. He did all kinds of amazing things. And all of those things are true about him, but all of that pales in comparison to the fact that he is God in the flesh come to be the sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. We can believe all of those things are true about Jesus and not yet know Jesus. We can believe that he was a good teacher, that he was a moral man, but if that's all we believe, we've missed the point. Because he very definitively stated in this story that he is God. And he came not to do signs and wonders, but to allow those signs and wonders to point us to who he is. He is God, and he came to save us. What a glorious, glorious thing that is. 